I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, we thank you for this time that we have to fellowship around your word. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. And it is a light unto our path. As we come celebrating on the earth, Father's Day, we know that you are the ultimate Father. You birthed us all. You created us in your own image. And so today as we try to do our best to capture the spiritual image of who you are so that we can cause it to manifest in our lives as we submit ourselves and our hearts to your word. I thank you that every father in this place will leave encouraged, will leave strengthened, and most of all will leave with a greater image of who you are than when they came in. I submit myself to the Holy Spirit and I thank you that he's going to use me to declare the oracles of God because without you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. For the last couple of weeks, we've been teaching out of the series, Growing to the Next Level. Say that with me. Say, Growing to the Next Level. And since today is Father's Day, I wanted to share something that God put in my heart. So I didn't stick with my series. So today, I'm going to really be specifically talking to fathers. But even though the message is primarily for fathers, there are several principles in the lesson that I believe anyone can grow from. And many times as men, we tend to get our identity from what we do and who society says we are and even from what others see in us. And sometimes this creates what I feel a huge dilemma for fathers who, be who are believers because our Heavenly Father has made it possible for us to be just like Him. And so instead of being forged into the mold that the world has for us, I believe God wants us to, to be just like him. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down today's lesson, which is entitled, Like Father, Like Son. Like Father, Like Son. I want you to find two verses of scripture. I want you to find Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. And then I want you to find Luke chapter 3, verses 23. That was Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 and then Luke chapter 3 verses 23. As we look in Genesis chapter 1 verse 23, here's one of the points I want to show you this morning. Spiritual fatherhood started with God, but it ended with Adam. Spiritual fatherhood started with God, but it ended with Adam. In other words, God made man in his own image. And that image was supposed to be perpetuated throughout time. But somewhere in the middle of men walking their walk out on the earth, they ended the fatherhood generation that God had started with Adam. And so God being who he is had to figure out a way to restart that fatherhood. 
And so I'm going to show you through scripture this morning that principle, and then we're going to move into who God is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, now this is going to be very, the first part of this is kind of theological, so I want you to stick with me, okay? It says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Watch this, verse 27. So God created man in what? In his own image. And in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he what? Them. So we see that when God made man, he made him in his image. But then you'll see in chapter 2 and going into chapter 3, he physically made the man. So the spirit part of the man is the part that's in God's image. And spirit is the part that you can't see. And so when God made Adam, he put a pure spirit inside of Adam. He wrapped that spirit in a body and then put some living breath into him called soul life. And the Bible says man became a living soul. But, but let me share something with you. Go to Luke chapter 3. Go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. You know, uh, every part of the Bible uh, doesn't seem like it's relevant to what you read all the time. And I remember I decided I was going to read everything in the Bible. Even the parts to me that didn't make a lot of sense. I said, I'm going to read it anyway. And so, you know, most of you all have probably encountered especially in the book of uh, Luke and the book of Matthew, that they give all these names of people being born. And I used to always skip all the names. I said, it don't make no sense. First of all, I can't pronounce half the names. And so one day I decided to read all the names. And so I got down to verse 36. I'm going to start in verse 36 of chapter 3. Are you there? Say I'm there. Well, let's start in verse 23 first. Verse 23 says, And Jesus himself began... To be about 30 years of age, being, watch this now, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, who was the son of Heli. Now, notice the genealogy is starting with Jesus. And notice it says that Joseph, or Jesus was supposedly the son of Joseph, which we all know what that meant was that God was Jesus' dad, but he had to use a natural man to help raise him while he was down here. And so uh, those of you who may have been single parents or your mom was a single parent and you were growing up and you were a father and you say, well, you know, I miss my dad. I wish my dad was around to help me be a man. Well, let me tell you a secret. You have a dad. His name is God. Because when God made Adam, Adam had no natural father. And so if he could raise a man like Adam, then surely he can raise a man like you. Now notice here, after they go through all of these names, in verse 37 it says, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, who was the son of Jared, who was the son of Malil, who was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Adam's daddy was God. And I want you to know today as men that even if your father is alive or not, you have a spiritual father and his name is God. Now I want you to notice something. Adam did not need the Holy Spirit to be born again because his original spirit was pure and holy. Adam wasn't born again. Born again means you were born one way, one way, and then you had to be born again another way. No, no, no. When Adam was born, he didn't need the Holy Spirit in him because the spirit in him was already holy. 
In other words, when God talked to him, his spirit was so pure that God's spirit from the, from the heavenly spoke to Adam and Adam was able to respond because his spirit had no sin in it. When Adam's spirit was holy, that means his power, his personhood, and his potential was a mirror of who God was. If God would have been a human, he'd have looked just like Adam. Listen, it was literally like father, like son. However, Adam's spiritual death made it impossible for mankind to be like God from the inside out from that point on. In other words, when God told Adam, he says, Adam, guess what? You can eat anything you want to eat, but don't eat this right here. And Adam decided after, we don't know, it could have been several years. He decided he was going to eat it. But I want you to give, I want to give you another picture. What would have happened had Adam never eaten the fruit before he had kids? His kids would have been born with that pure spirit. And watch this now. Society would have kept going until they sinned. But Adam sinned. And when he sinned, watch this now. The spirit that God put in him that was holy and pure, it died. Because God told him, he said, the day you eat this fruit, you are going to die. Which means the spirit inside of Adam that God put inside of him that was pure died. Then God could no longer communicate with Adam from the inside out. He had to communicate with Adam from the outside in. So God had to figure out a way because he originally designed us to have fellowship with him. And so that's why you have to be born again. Being born again means you were born naturally one way and then you had to be born again spiritually. But guess what? In being born again spiritually, it actually positions me to be and act like God. I'll be able to act like God, talk like God, walk like God. In other words, like father, like son. But I have, in fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Turn to Romans chapter 5 very quickly. Romans chapter 5. See, when you get born again, you have an advantage because you now have an opportunity and the ability to be just like God. Now, how many believe God is all-knowing? Let me, let me see your hand. Yes. How many believe God has power that, uh, that is, uh, supersedes natural power? Let me see. Okay, watch this. When we now join in with God by being born again, we now can hear God, we can hear from God, and we can, we can do things that God would do. In Romans chapter 5, are you there? Say, I'm there. It says, I'm in verse 18. It said, therefore, as by the offense of one which was Adam, judgment came upon who? All men. So watch this now. Everybody that is born, they're already condemned in judgment. And that's why people say, well, I don't need Jesus to get saved. Yes, you do, because you were condemned before you got here. He says, judgment came upon all all men to condemnation. Even so, watch this now, by the righteousness of one, the free gift Came upon all men. What is the free gift? The free gift is salvation upon all men unto justification of life. Watch this, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made, what class? Sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Listen, once I am born again, God then declares me righteous. Now, here is the dilemma with fathers here on the earth that are believers. Being born again makes me righteous, but it does not make me act righteous. I'm going to say that one again. 
Being born again positions me to righteousness, but it doesn't make me act righteous. So watch this. You can be a born again, spirit filled uh, father and not act like it. And I found out why. Ask me why. Why? Because. <laughs> Listen. Your flesh is the house that your old man of sin used to live in. Listen to me. Your flesh is the house that the old man inside of you used to live in. Watch this now. And although the owner of that house, that old you, the center part of you, has been evicted through death, the house, which represents how you think, must be renovated to think like God now. In other words, remember now, you were a sinner. You, you, you sinned for 20 years before you got to Jesus. Y'all understand singing, don't you? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. And so now you get saved. The spirit in you got revived. God gives you a new spirit. He puts the Holy Spirit in you. Now you have the ability to act like God. But the problem is the house that the old man used to live in still remembers the stuff that he used to do. And that's where the conflict comes in. And that's why we can have fathers that act like fathers that ain't saved because you haven't renovated your mind to think like the spirit that's in you. So I want to look at some attributes of God. What makes God a great father? Number one, I want you to write this down. What makes God a great father is that God is a great provider. God is a great provider. And I want you to just listen to this. It's not bashing at all, but I want, I want, to, I want to encourage you because an absent provider is hardly this different than a present unbeliever. I'm going to say that again. An absent provider, a person who provides but, but are not there, they are no different than a present unbeliever. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? First Timothy chapter five, verse eight says, but if any provide not for his own and the specific, especially for his, those are in his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God says, if you, we are a spirit filled man and we've been born again, he says, if we don't provide for our house, we're worse than a person that's not even saved. Okay, here we go. This is going to be deep right here. Paying child support is proof that the old, selfish, and irresponsible you is dead. Got one clap from a married woman and some moans from all the single parent mothers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again, though. When you pay child support, it's proof that the old, selfish, and irresponsible you is dead in Christ. Let me show you what else it is. It's also proof that you being financially responsible and caring for your kids, it's proof that you believe that God will financially care for you. Because, see, we normally model what we believe. So if you can't consistently take care of your family, what you're really saying is, I don't think God can successfully and consistently take care of me. And so when you don't support your kids, what you're saying is, I don't believe God can take care of me either. 
And what happens is we distort the true image of God that's supposed to be shown from us to our kids. They never see it. And now when they get older, they don't want to have anything to do with God because the God that they saw in us didn't even take care of them. So God is a God who provides. He's not just Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. He's a providing God. Amen. Now, what else is God? God is a present God. Now, I just want you to compare you as a father to what I'm describing about God the Father because we know God is a provider. But also God is a present God. Psalm 46 one says, God is our refuge and he is our strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Are you a present father? You say, well, pastor, my kids live in another state. I don't get to be present with them. Yeah, but are you present in their life? You don't have to be physically in their life to be present in their life. Spending time with your family should not be a choice, but it needs to be an obligation. At the end of the day, time should never be given as a leftover time. See, just because you're at the end of the day doesn't mean you have to give time as if it's a leftover. You can give them first day time just even if it's the in the daytime. In other words, you can't come home all tired. And I know you worked all day. I did too. But you know what? They don't understand that. All kids know is the way I saw him leave is the way I want to see him come. And you better muster up some strength. You might have to say, oh, Lord, I can do all things through Christ. that strengthens me before you walk in the door. Because, listen, they don't understand. Amen. So spending time with our family should not be a choice. It should be an obligation. Amen. You can give your family your time without giving them yourself. I'm going to explain this one. You can give your family your time without giving them of yourself. Oh, you can watch a movie with them, but that takes no interaction. Y'all are just watching a big two. Yeah, you spent some time with them, but you didn't give them of yourself. I mean, think about it. What are some of the activities that you do that you're actually giving yourself to your kids And your family while you're spending time with them. And you know what? Society makes us feel like we have no time. Amen. I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I got to do it just like you got to do it. Praise the Lord. And what I love about God, he says, you know what? Even if your parents are not there for you. He says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. That's in Psalm 27, 12. Even when you die or somebody in your family dies, the Bible says... Or when, let's say you die, because we all going to die one day. The Bible says, even when we die, guess what? To be absent from the body is to be present. God says, you know what? Whether you live or die, I'm there. My question is, can your family see your presence? Here's number three. Here's number three. Is that God is a spiritual God of patience. He's a patient God. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, you are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. We have a long-suffering and patient God. Have you ever just, God just had patience with you until you got something together? 
Let me give you my definition of patience as a father. Patience is the ability to maintain a godly attitude until what you have taught through words and modeled through behavior is being displayed in your kids. I'm going to say that again. Patience is the ability. I'm talking about patience of a father. It's the ability to maintain a godly attitude until what you have taught through your words and then you have modeled through your actions becomes, watch this, and you wait and see until that's formed into your kids. In other words, you can't beat out of them what you're currently modeling. You can't say, Do what I say, but not what I do. It has to be something that they're seeing so that they can model it. Amen. And so our heavenly father is so patient. Man, I love God because if he wasn't patient, man, I'd have been consumed long time ago. And some of us, we forget that we have the spirit inside of us. And one of the the, uh, uh, attributes of the spirit is kindness and long suffering and here it is our kids can do one thing wrong and we jump on them like they did it that like we told them 20 times you know why because we weren't shown patience when we were growing up but see the only way they're going to see it is if we model it and so here's another attribute that i thought that was great with god i want you to turn to first timothy chapter three. First timothy chapter three our heavenly father is a pillar All these start with a P. He's patient. He's a pillar. I started to say he's a a God of the pole, but I said, no, that don't sound right right there. (laughs) Some of y'all will get that on the way home. The God on the pole? I don't understand that. No, no, I, I wanted to just say that he's a God that is stable. He is a pillar. He is a, he's a foundation. He's someone that's not going to move. You know, in the Old Testament, it describes, it says that God made sure they had direction because he was a pillar of cloud by the day and then he was a pillar of fire by the night. In other words, a pillar is a person that can be dependent on. It's a person that has stability. And a father who is stable produces security for his family. Security is not just knowing how to shoot a gun or how to fight somebody, but it's producing a safe environment by you being counted on. Man, security doesn't come from you knowing how to fight. You know, I remember years ago when I was at the fair with heaven. uh, Actually, it was me, my wife, and heaven. My wife had went somewhere, and heaven and I were standing in the, the, the funnel cake line. And, you know, uh, it was a long line. I don't know why. The funnel cake line is always a long line. And so I'm standing in this funnel cake line, and it's probably from here to those speakers, you know. And we get about right here, right before we get ready to get, you know, our little funnel cake. And I noticed these thugs, this thug and his girlfriend, was just following, waiting for me to get to the front because he was going to try to jump in front of me. So he got up there, and I saw him getting ready to do it. I said, excuse me. I said, I know you're not going to skip me. He said, well, what you going to do? That old man inside of me, I started turning to the incredible hook. I started turning green. He's like, run, run, here's the whole No, I said, you step in front of me and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Now, I was with heaven. I didn't care if I was going to lose or win that fight. We was going down that day. But providing stability and security don't mean you can fight. 
It means that you can be consistently counted on. I remember, you know, I used to always take, you know, every Thursday, whatever it was, I would take heaven lunch to school every day, every week, every week. And so this one week, I had a lot going on, and I told her I was going to bring a lunch, and I forgot to bring a lunch. You would have thought that I died. <laughs> Heaven came home that evening brokenhearted. <laughs> Daddy, I'm talking about tears the whole nine yards. Daddy, you didn't bring my, I mean, she went on and on. And I apologized. And then I said, well, Heaven, how many times have I ever forgot to bring you lunch? She said, none. This is the first one. I said, give a brother a break. <laughs> but it showed me she is wanting me to be counted on. <laughs> Amen. First Timothy chapter three. Are you there? Verse 15 says, but if I tarry long, this, is, this was Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but if I tarry long, that you, I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground, uh, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, as men, we ought to be the pillar and the ground of truth for our homes. Amen. Let's look at one more. And then this is the last one I want to end with. God is a God of purity. Leading by example is the purest form of leadership that a father can provide for his family. I mean, leading by example is the purest form. And so many times growing up, it was almost demanded that the girl be pure, the daughter. But it was implied that if the son wasn't pure, it's okay. Because men will be men. But I'm here to tell you today that a real man can live a pure life. A real man can be faithful to his wife. A real man don't have to cheat just because it's offered to him. A real man don't have to have 15 kids around the globe just because he can do it. A real man says, you know what? Even though I may have the ability, I choose not to exercise it. First John chapter 2 Let's go there. We'll close with this one. First John chapter three. Leading by example is the purest form of leadership that a father can provide for his family. And I, I, I you know, the problem I have with, with, with this generation right now is that anything goes. There are no limits. There are no boundaries. There are no controls in place. Basically, we got a generation now who saw their their, their dad and their mom just live a loose life and now they don't have any boundaries in first john chapter three look in verse two it says beloved now are we the sons of god and it does not appear what we should be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is look at the next one and every man that has this hope in him he purifies himself even as God is pure. You want to see God? The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want to challenge us as men. There's my clock. 25 minutes went by. I want to challenge us as men 
to live a pure life. Just because your family can't see it don't mean God can't. See, there's something about purity. Even a drug dealer can recognize pure cocaine. Some of the ex-dope addicts say amen. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Even a bank teller can recognize a dollar that's not a real dollar. So you mean to tell me your family, your kids, your wife, your co-workers can't see if you are pure or not? I beg to differ. That's why our young generation right now don't listen because, see, we, it may look like we're living one way, but they know we're not. They know a fake when they see one. And so I want to challenge us today. Challenge me. Challenge our fathers. To live a life that is just like the father, like father, like son. I think you got it. Give the Lord a hand clap if you would.